Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about BIPOC anime characters. So, I'm going to actually spell out the letters now. It's B-I-P-O-C anime characters. For people who are wondering what B-I-P-O-C stands for, it is Black Indigenous People of Color. The reason why that there is a separate acronym for these groups of people rather than just the POC that we're used to hearing talked about, which is people of color, is because of colorism. Colorism exists in every country, making that clear right off the bat, regardless if we're talking about U.S. or the West where, um, or countries that are more diverse or countries that are less diverse. There is colorism involved because of beauty standards and classism, et cetera, et cetera. It goes very deep. It's very, very complicated. It's not a very clear cut situation. But what is a clear cut situation is that overall there tends to be a favoring of fair colored skin, whether it's because people think that makes them more beautiful or whether because of more unsavory reasons. And of course, like anything in human history and society, there's a lot of factors entwining together that resulted in this. So with that being said, BIPOC resulted from the fact that we need to give some spotlight to the to the fact that unfortunately, people with darker colored skin tends to get treated in not so great ways compared to people with lighter color skin, even if they are people of color. And we want to bring that topic to anime characters because contrary to belief, Japan is diverse and they have different ethnic groups, number one. That's one thing that we need to make clear. I feel like overall people just think Japan is just Japanese people. But, you know, if Golden Conway has taught us anything, there's a very rich, diverse group of ethnic groups in Japan that are equally as well treated badly and discriminated as the Ainus have been throughout history. And so that on the first spot. But the second thing is there are a lot more different international people in Japan than one would expect, whether it's because of their own misconception, whether it's because of media or whether it's because they formed the idea of Japan on in their own head and they didn't bother looking at it. And those include people of color within the BIPOC group. And with that being said, while there isn't a lot of these characters in anime, admittedly, there are some that get featured. And so today we really want to focus on those on those BIPOC anime characters we have seen, give them that spotlight they deserve and talk about why we like their portrayal simply because at the same time, unfortunately, anime has also proven to be quite discriminatory and racist and straight up whitewashing in regards to certain other characters when it comes to darker skin tone or different nationalities and different ethnicities. So with that all out of the way, the baton will go to Isabel first today. So Isabel, my first question to you before you go into the two anime characters you would like to discuss that are BIPOC people is did you have trouble finding a list, I suppose, of anime characters that you found interesting in the first place? Or was it hopefully relatively easy for you to gather up that list? Yeah, for me, it was relatively easy to come up with that list. Okay, uh, although, perfect. 
although kind of small. Um, mm. I think there are only a couple or a handful of series, you know, that was able to pull up that people would agree with. And I think what was even harder was finding a main character in a series. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. That's that's very true. So, all right. Did you pick a main character then, or I picked one main character and I picked one like main supporting type of character. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's hear it then. Who are they? <laughs> yeah, I think the first one is very obvious. Um, it's from Bleach, and I will be highlighting Chad, um, just because he is he stayed with Ichigo the longest in the series and. Uh, when I you know watched the series as a teenager, I thought it was cool to have uh, Chad be Ichigo's friend, and not only that kind of his background. I think it's rare for us to get backgrounds for people of color in many series. You know, sometimes they're just there, or we don't really talk about their past, or if they're in you know based in fantasy, there's there's no need for an explanation really, um, other than their appearance and how you might um, interpret how they are and their um their roots really yeah but chad actually has a really good arc i feel like in the early part of the series um between him and ichigo and i didn't i didn't know this until i read into it but actually you know chad is you know half japanese and half mexican so Mm -hmm. he actually was born in japan but he has parents of mexican descent so when he was young he had moved to mexico um, and unfortunately, his parents died um, in an accident. So he was mostly raised by his grandfather. And that's where we also get a lot of the Spanish terms that, you know, uh, Kubo uses throughout his work. And also just Chad being very, always bringing up his grandfather and his love for uh, from his grandfather. Because after his grandfather had passed away, he moved back to Japan. And that's when he met, met Ichigo. But a lot of the things that he taught Chad really define who he is as kind of I like to look at him as a gentle giant (laughs) he's a very (laughs) cute character like cute things always surround him um and even though he's obviously definitely very muscular and bigger you know he's supposed to be basically the same age as Ichigo but you would think that he's like a college kid or maybe even an adult because of his physical features but despite that and he had you know he had grown up bigger than a lot of the kids um in his school so he used his you know um his bigger size i guess to you know bully the other kids but his grandfather you know taught him not to do that you know especially for people that can't stand up um to bullies you know just based on pure size or things like that so like he really took that to heart and he was very loyal about it but yeah it's like throughout the series and he like he only fights to protect his friends which is almost exactly the same as um Ichigo's ideal so that's why they're like really good friends together and and I think that Ichigo just becoming friends with Chad is the most funniest thing ever like he, they were known as kind of like the two like kind of like thug-like fighters in their high school um and and it wasn't even Chad trying to protect Ichigo Ichigo like decided to you know talk to him first and uh try to get him out of kind of the gang activities that Chad just fell into probably because of his race and color um, but yeah, Ichigo just looked at him in a different way. But yeah, Agnes, what did you think? I don't know if you were going to talk about Bleach, but I just thought I would, I would, I definitely think that we need to, we needed to highlight that. Mm-hmm. I was going to maybe highlight a different Bleach character. Uh, I didn't think much about Chad only because 
Chad has a really good introduction, like you said, at the beginning of Bleach, but I mm-hmm. think like near the end of the current anime, not the thousand year arc, but the end where they defeat Aizen and everything in uh, after the Hakumanda arc, Chad almost seemed like very insignificant as a supporting character, which is very disappointing, unfortunately. But uh, you, you do make a really great point at how like Chad has a lot of really interesting origins and that he's very well respected by Ichigo and his friends. And he's not really like ostracized as a character even though he is like half japanese and half mexican because we know as we all know like in japan there are a lot of people who are half black or and half japanese and they face a lot of racism Mm -hmm. in japan uh, especially with a lot of sentiments from the uh the american occupation in japan uh after world war ii um but it's really warm it's really it's a really warm sight to see chad and ichigo just chill and have fun it's funny because ichigo is the more impulsive one while Chad is just very chill. <laughs> he, oh, yeah. Like you said, he's the big he's the big chill giant who just wants everybody to get along and he's just very awkward and shy. So it's really nice to see him as a as a contrast against Ichigo. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes, especially in the earlier series, is in um episode thirty seven, where um I have no idea how Chad gets kidnapped, but he lets himself be kidnapped by the this gang of people and um they surround him and Ichigo is there to save the day and Ichigo straight up just like calls 911 uh the emergency line to at request for ambulances and he counts the people right in front of them they're like i don't know six or seven guys and he's like i need seven ambulances to come whoa (laughs) (laughs) that's a that's right it's the embodiment of the meme of like call the ambulance but not for me that's (laughs) exactly what i was thinking can you imagine just being like all right like i need an ambulance for one two three four five six seven (laughs) you know like not even counting himself Ichigo's baller for saving his friend like that. <laughs> it's wonderful. I love it. I was going to note, you know, I was expecting a Bleach character. And the reason why is when I was out of curiosity just seeing what other people have compiled as a list for anime characters that are BIPOC, I was slash surprised and also unsurprised because of like, I, I have some general knowledge of Bleach already to see that whenever it's like out of 10, like a, a list of 10, there's always three or four characters from Bleach, which in that yeah. sense immediately yeah. like takes the chunk of the list away because the rest of them are individuals from individual anime. And then Bleach is the only one that smack dab has three or four right off the bat. And so it really makes me call back to the fact that, you know how sometimes when we revisit old things that we rewatch and we're like, oh, this didn't age well because we know better now and times have changed and stuff like that. I think Bleach is very diverse cast, something that most people didn't even really recognize at the beginning is probably something that has aged very well throughout the years (laughs) and i think that in a way is why people were so attracted to the big three notably bleach and naruto because they introduced bipoc people very early on Mm. and so it was very easy for a lot of these groups of minorities and individuals to really fall in love with the series because they're like hey look there's someone exactly like me on there you know you have chad who's representing you know half Mexican, Mexican, like, pride and heritage. They actually have a lot of, like, uh, Spanish words thrown into the series, too. So there's, like, a real connection for a lot of these people in the audiences. And, of course, people who are Black as well, who are just like, wow, you know, this is so cool, like, empowering myself and with my friends. Like, it it lines up a lot with their, like, uh, their values as well. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly, yeah. No, and I do know for a fact that Bleach's popularity in Spanish-speaking countries have not gotten any less throughout the years. Probably, like, yeah. because of the fact he put, yeah. It's like, a, it's like, Bleach is, like, a staple alongside with, like, Naruto and Dragon Ball. Those are, like, very popular in uh, Latin American countries. That's and also, true. like, uh, Saint Seiya, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are, like, the four staples, if you're not including Sailor Moon. That's true. That is very true. Alrighty then, so if that is your main character, who did you pick as your supporting character, Isabel? I would say, yeah, Chad is more of a supporting character. Oh, he is! Sorry, sorry, I didn't know. Yeah. See, see, now you know yeah, I don't watch he, Bleach. <laughs> he started out as a main character, like part of Ichigo's group, but over time he became a lot more side, unfortunately. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's definitely like a main supporting character, not a true supporting character like a lot of the other characters uh, in That's Bleach, true, so. yeah. Yeah, the other one I wanted to highlight was the one that aired this year. We've talked about it on this podcast, but it's uh, David Martinez uh, from uh, Cyber. Oh, Hell yeah! Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and da- David's actually American, as he's um, in the series, but he is of Latino descent, and I think that's obvious from his mm-hmm. last name, as well as um, it, from his mother as well. Her her name is Gloria Martinez, and. You know, there's not too, you know, we don't really get a backstory of him and his kind of like culture and, um, you know, more of his background, you know, past his mother. Uh, But I think, you know, where he is um, in the series, at least, he's kind of like the underdog in the series. Um, Gloria's paying off a lot of debt in the series as well. And I think this does represent kind of like the, um, some, for, for some people, you know, the American experience, um, especially if you are from a Latino community. And I just thought it was crazy that we'd have something, somebody like David be the main protagonist of the series and, you know, do just as well as any other protagonist, really. And the fact that there's a lot of other characters um, who are darker skinned uh, in the in the show as well. I think was it i think main was also one of them uh, yeah main is definitely one of them he definitely looks bipoc yeah mm-hmm. and just kind of like having a lot of racist i think a lot of the anime based in america or you know coming to yeah, america will have I've, a lot of that mm-hmm. yeah i believe the original world of cyberpunk is actually modeled after los angeles oh. which is probably why there's a lot of, of when the when the netflix show was created they pulled a lot of cultural references from other groups so like how main is definitely BIPOC and how David Martinez is uh like Latino and then I know that in the English dub of Edge Runners Gloria has a very distinct like Latin accent and she talks mm-hmm. about how like oh I have to pay off all your debts I paid a lot of money for you to go to this really good school why are you flunking out and so it really adds to that whole like immigrant narrative for David as well even though he wants nothing to do with going to school and he wants to make a better life for himself but not going to school with all like these rich snobby kids who do look very white and very like uh japano like japanophiles too <laughs> which is the irony as well yeah the, like that you know weird mesh of all these things coming together but at the same time it seems natural as well and i think if you think about cyberpunk as kind of like a sci-fi series or game uh, you don't really see kind of like you know mexican or latino you know influence in these games it feels like you know something mm-hmm, like yeah. going out to space or mm. things like that yeah mm-hmm. there's less of an emphasis on like Af- i know like there's terms in video games and some art communities like afropunk and stuff like that like how we think of 
like Black Panther as Afropunk because it's like cyberpunk or like sci-fi but mixed in with African American mm, people. Yes. But the overall sci-fi genre is very white still. Yes, I was going to say, <laughs> to say the, the, to say the it, sort of default of literal genres for sci-fi and fantasy tends to be white cast, white characters, white European sort of historical elements and and uh, influences. I mean, this even holds true to, you know, other countries. We can just take one look at Isekai and they're always getting isekai in medieval European-esque stories with white people. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like the the city that's in the game called Night City, I think that's a, probably as close as you can get, uh, maybe to something that is like closer uh, geographically, you know, to South America. Because I really haven't seen you know anime based out of there and the oh, characters. Oh, I didn't. From there. Okay, that's interesting. I obviously I haven't finished Cyberpunk. I watched two episodes and then I was yeah. done. I mean, so. it's based we'll, in LA, we'll, but... we'll give you a mm-hmm. we'll give you a synopsis, Gracie, because I know you the the anime doesn't do very well with your eyes, so we can give you a synopsis, or you can probably just read the wiki. I well, I, I have read the wiki, well. and I and I know it in sad, and so that that I'm aware of, which I'm also glad I didn't watch because I'm like I don't. I don't like heavy, depressing endings, and so which don't don't get on me because I sometimes seek them out on purpose. But I have like particular choices <laughs> in regards to that when I want to watch it. But um, but specifically, I I didn't know that you know they even actually had cities that were purposefully geologically situated closer to South American countries and stuff like that. So that's very cool and very new, and I don't think a lot of people think about it in regards to the sci-fi genre, like you two were saying um yeah just kind of like that idea of like getting closer to the border um you know because if it's based mm-hmm. out of la that's you know very close uh south as well mm-hmm. even if you go down to san diego mm-hmm. um in california yeah. so yeah there's definitely you know a lot of a lot of people there and i'm 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 pretty sure they would be you know glad to see this type of adaptation to something that's close to home and these characters that are actually kind of relatable uh, like you said, Agnes, you know, David's trying hard in school. You know, his parents also want him to do well. It's just that, you know, he's not always set up for success. And as yeah. a kid, you kind of want more than what you might be given and you might blame it on your parents, but it's not really their fault, right? They mm. have their own yeah. things to deal with yeah. and stuff like that. So. Yeah, it's mostly the the system's fault mm-hmm. when they're living in Los Angeles because I believe in the, the original storyline for Edge Runners, Gloria and David actually live even further out of the Night City. So they would live somewhere like very similar to the LA suburbs. Mm-hmm. But even then, the amount of work that they would get in those suburbs for, of the Night City is not enough to actually pay for his education. So they have to move to the inner city where it's definitely poorer. They live in a really like trashy apartment. But she's able to scrounge up enough funds and also illegal funds in order to get him to a, a better high school. So it's just really... Um, it's just it's just very representative of what LA also looks like for a lot of these minority peoples as well. Yeah, I always think about it's really small detail, but when David is well, one trying to get through his apartment through the laundromat area or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> because he can't. That pay the rent, is so. Yeah, because they can't pay the rent and it locks him out. Oh mm. my god, I felt so bad for him yeah. when he had to crawl through the window. He did it twice too, mm-hmm. and the second time he was carrying his mother's like ashes in the urn and the, when he went to the hospital and they asked like do you basically have med- like medical care he's like no i don't and they're like okay well here's your co-payment and here's your mom's ashes good luck with that and i was like damn this is very much like in the u.s too no sympathy at all 
Oh yeah, that definitely hit hard. And then just him like wash like watching the his clothes in the in the laundry. I'm like, yeah, we have a ton of laundromats around here, and I I I I also go there as well. And I'm like, yep, I can definitely see him just sitting there, just like, when is this gonna be done? And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those are my two choices. Thank Who you is next for mm-hmm. sharing, Isabel. So I believe the pot- baton goes to Agnes next. So Agnes, I have the same question. Was compiling a list hard for you? Were you getting essentially the same anime that specifically just happened to be diverse or like the exact same characters? Um, or did you hopefully have a bit of an easier time picking your two? <laughs> I had an easier time picking my first one because they like immediately flashed in my mind when we started talking about this podcast. And I'm like, I have to spotlight them because I'm pretty sure no one else watched this show, but it's a great show with a lot of representation for it. And then the second one, I did also notice what you were saying, Gracie, how a lot of lists that do feature BIPOC characters during my research popped up from Bleach naruto and i was like okay okay this makes sense uh but then i tried to kind of like whittle it down to characters that made an impact on me or at least had an impact on the story itself and weren't just fully side characters that were just there because they're like the trophy by pop mm-hmm. person right? and that was harder once you put that put in that filter yeah because if you look at a lot of the BIPOC characters that are featured in anime, a lot of the times they're like rappers or they're <laughs> yeah. like very aggressive yes. people or they're just kind of there for like one particular scene. Like, for instance, uh, Dora has a black Russian guy, but he sells sushi and he's like a staple gag sort of in the Dora universe. But he doesn't actually have his own prominent arc in itself, so at least in the anime. So that kind of like rules him out of the list because I'm like, I can't really talk about him as like a character representing, you know, his race and making an impact in the story if he's just gonna show up for a couple gag scenes, you know? Yeah, it's just kind of like so you know I had to that kind of blur down. But that's about it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I've always been a bit curious actually about Simon because he's black and Russian, which is very. Uh, uh, it's a very different combination of what we would see in BIPOC characters featured in anime, but at the same time, unfortunately, he doesn't get a lot of screen time in the Durara anime. Mm-hmm. So I'll start off with my first one, and this is a Brazen female individual from a very small show. Uh, didn't get a lot of recognition, but I really liked it when I watched it. It's called, she is Michiko from Michiko to Hachin. Have you guys ever watched Ooh, that I show? I don't think so. You might have. No, I definitely haven't. You got, you got, you definitely got an anime I haven't even heard of, actually. <laughs> okay, okay. Isabel, have you heard of Michiko to Hachin before? I've heard of it. I have not watched it, though, so. Okay, it's tell a, us. It's a uh-huh. great this show. This is very so impressive show done- as someone who watches, like, a 60 anime a year for her to pick something that I haven't even heard. <laughs> well, Michiko and Hachin came out during, like, those weird dead years of anime before it was seasonal. Oh, um, and Michiko okay. and Hachin was actually uh, featured on Funimation with like blu-ray during the era of like blu-rays so i don't exactly blame you for not knowing them but it's actually done by the same directors behind uh samurai shampoo and uh okay so when you watch (laughs) so when you watch this show you realize like okay these guys are dedicated people they know what they're talking about they've done their research on bipop Mm -hmm. people and the the cultures and everything around it so the show of michiko and hachin is centered in a kind of realistic depiction but it's more it's more like fictional it's a fictional depiction of an afro like latino japanese society so very similar to what you would see like in brazil 
where there is a woman who recently broke out of jail. Her name is Michiko, and she broke out of jail because she's on a mission to find her lost lover. Uh, she was put into jail because of a lot of nefarious crimes. She is very impulsive. She's very brazen. And when she breaks out of jail, she wants to find her lover whom she believes is still waiting for her. And with a lot of context clues left behind from her, she manages to track down a little girl named Hachiko. And Oh, not Hachiko, Hana. Hana lives in a foster home. She is one of the daughters of, uh, of, Michiko, of uh, Michiko's boyfriend. But Hana is very dissatisfied with her life because in her foster home, she is constantly bullied by the other kids. Her foster home is, you know, a couple like crappy parents and their kids. And they took in this poor orphan kid who doesn't know what's better for her. She's basically treated like a slave every day. Michiko on her bicycle, on her like literal motorcycle, literally blasts into through the kitchen door on a motorcycle, like shatters windows, sends the kids sprawling and injured. And she just like, hey. Are you this baby in this picture? And she flashes the pic the picture of the baby to Hana and says, You must have that tattoo because if you are, that means that you're my lover's baby and that you need to tell me where he is right now. And obviously Hana has no idea who her parents were. She was a foster kid, she was taken in, and she refuses to help uh, uh help Michiko at the very beginning. She was like, Who is this woman? Who is this woman who like broke into my house and changed my life upside down? And eventually they go on a journey trying to find um I think his name was uh, Hiroshi. They try to go find Hiroshi, who is Michiko's boyfriend and Hana's father, and try to kind of kind of like tie in this like ragtag family together of misfits. And it's just a it's just a great journey along the way because it really shows how very different ha uh, Hana and Michiko are as individuals, and that Michiko is not exactly a perfect woman herself. You know, in a lot of these animes where you know you pick up the stray kid you know you expect the parent to, you know soften up you know be a little bit different you know do sacrifice for their children and their children like warms up to them Han, uh, Michiko to Hana uh, to um, Hachiko is very very different in the sense that Michiko is very brazen uh, she kicks ass she carries a gun with her she rides a motorcycle she's very unapologetic she's like boobs tits and ass out <laughs> and she has a taste of adventure and doesn't give a shit about what other people say. The English dub makes it really nice to hear too, because she kind of has like that, uh, that sort of Southern Afro accent to it, laced with a bit of uh, of a Latin uh, tinge to it, and it really fleshes out her characters. Um, that's very vibrant in all these cities that they travel to to find Hiroshi. In the end of Michiko to Hachiko Hachin, she eventually gets caught again, and she has to kind of relinquish. Um, Han, uh, Hana or Hachin to her boyfriend to basically like protect her because she realizes that she's no longer a good parent. She's going back to jail and decides like, you know, maybe uh, Hachin needs a better life. And then years later, Hachin discovers that as an adult, she's also now a single mom. She has a child, but she keeps receiving strange packages at her doorway. And then she realizes that it is a secret code from Michiko who has been sending her random packages and telling her that she's coming home to her. And so with a thrill and a rush of adventure to go meet Michiko again, uh, Hachin you know, packs up her bag, packs up her baby and rides out, hitchhikes roads to in trucks and rides across the border to reunite with Michiko and go on one last adventure. 
And it's just a really nice story. And it's just very funny and very brazen overall. That I just really like the tone of it and Michiko's portrayal as a non-perfect BIPOC woman. Very flawed, but very lovely to see on screen. You had me absolutely enraptured the whole time you were describing the stories. I decided to uh, look her up really quickly. She looks amazing. Absolutely gorgeous. She's, she's, she's boobs tits and ass so, out. Right? I do have a question about that. And, you know, yes. uh, and obviously I, I do want to reiterate to everyone, we are three Asian girls on here. So, um, so uh, if anyone who has actual experience being a BIPOC person disagrees with our opinions absolutely you are allowed to in fact we want to hear about it and you know we want to take it very very seriously as well but uh one thing that a lot of you have pointed out is that BIPOC characters tend to get very sexualized so I I obviously think she looks amazing but also a lot of the screenshots sort of show her to be like this sexy sort of character uh does that um I guess with that fact, knowing that a lot of times they get sexualized, especially female characters, um, does that sort of come with any sort of contrast to, you know, how you feel about her? Or do you think in a way it makes her powerful? I think in a way it makes her powerful because she's able to fend off for herself for a very long time. She was played by Hiroshi, but a lot of the overly sexualized BIPOC characters that you would see in not just anime but like other American TV shows or films they don't come off as strong women like they don't have values they don't have um, a means to protect themselves and they're usually often with like abusive mm, husbands you're or right boyfriends. yes but Michiko is not because actually Hiroshi ran away from her first of all and so she's left to defend herself. She got in jail twice, by the way. The person who imprisoned her in jail is also a, a very badass BIPOC female who's like the foil to her. They oh, like that's fascinating, friends. actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's very fascinating. So like her best friend, Atsuko Jackson, was also featured in some of the lists as well. She is like hard-ass policewoman who's going after Michiko, making sure she pays for her crimes and her uh, misdemeanors of like stealing, looting, shooting people. Um, and she provides like a great foil to the more immature Michiko who's trying to like, like, you know, crawl her way through life and try to find like a meaning. So when you ask me, does Michiko feel overly sexualized as a BIPOC character? I would say no, because Michiko already is so strong in deciding that she would stake out on her own to find and Hiroshi and beat him up for leaving her and also taking the gamble to find Hana. Uh, or Hachin and really like connect with her. Got it. Okay. Yeah. No, that sounds great. And I, I mean, I think the story sounds amazing. So obviously, I need to add it to my list if I ever have the time to <laughs> watch another anime <laughs> yeah, series. It's, but it's yeah. great. Yeah, I, I would definitely recommend it. And also, there's a lot of like um, Afro Latin tunes in the music. Well, that's obviously, fun. because it's mm -hmm. Watanabe. Watanabe, as we know, has excellent music taste. He listens to all types of music all around the world, which is very evident from his Carol and Tuesday mm -hmm. anime. So if you want more of that, definitely listen to the stuff from Michiko and Hachin if you have time. The opening's a banger. It's just instrumentals, but it's just a, it's a great banger. Oh, it's I love instrumental openings. I mean, Akasi no Yona's first opening where it was just instrumental, it was beautiful for me. So mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, Alrighty, so if that is your first pick, who do you have for your second pick? So my second pick is a villain, and it comes from an anime that seems 
a little bit further than what we would consider as realistic, you know, representing BIPOC characters in a real life setting. But I kind of wanted to highlight Scar from uh, Full Oh, Metal that's Alchemist. a good one, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a BIPOC character, um, he is Ishvalin. He is from a minority race that lives on the frin- uh, that lives on the the fringes of Amestrius. And one thing that I realized this morning, as I was you know doing my research and figuring out who I wanted to spotlight, is that Scar is very exemplary of the Middle Eastern countries during the height of the 1920s, when European colonialism was at its forefront. And you can see that with the Ishvalan War and the intrusion of the Amestris troops, that the Amestris troops really, you know, dividing up their countries, killing and massacring these people reminds me a lot of uh, British and European colonization, where they drew a lot of borders, forced a lot of these Middle Eastern countries to fight amongst themselves and really leave them broken and vengeful towards Western countries, which is a big reason why radicalism exists in the Middle East, because they despise what the West has done mm-hmm. to them. And as a result, Scar is a production of that. He, he grew up in the ashes of the war. His brother sacrificed himself um, with alchemy to see if he can help his people and resurrect his loved one, but failed to do so. And Scar is left to reckon with all this hate and revenge that boils up inside of him. And, you know, throughout the story, he has to face against, you know, people that he hates. So the people of Amestrius and then people that he doesn't really know or care about, like the people from the the Chinese-inspired country, like where um, Ling and uh, Mei Mei are from, right? right? I, I never forget the Ling's the story, iconic dialogue, which is, so sorry, I don't understand the language of this country. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> 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 uh, that, is a, that is a very Asian way of trying to avoid a situation. I connected with him. We saw eye to eye because that's how I would get away sometimes. So, <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> but yeah, so Scar as a whole is like a he's villainized right in the eyes of edward Mm -hmm. elric because scar is going around terrorizing central city he broke edward's arm off and almost literally killed al and also killed winry um and so you know it's you know we pin scar as the villain but the reality is he's just as an important support like main supporting character because of all the stuff that he has to deal with and the Ishvalans being caught in this war of the Amestrians, the other countries, and then also the bigger scheme of the Philosopher's Circle as well. And then at the end of the series, I think what's super redeeming about Scar is the fact that He's not. He wasn't like a villain that they decide like, okay, we're finally putting you in jail. But he bonds with mm-hmm. Miles from the northern part of Amestrius, who, as we all know, Miles is only a quarter Ishvalan. He's not even full Ishvalan, but he has a lot of mixed blood in him. And the only thing that he retains is the hair color, the skin color, and the eyes of the Ishvalan people, which is actually a very genetic thing that can happen in a lot of mixed races and cultures where you end up inheriting a lot of your grandparents' mm-hmm. traits or and or their siblings' traits as well. So it may not be as very apparent that Miles is mixed, but he clearly looks more Ishvalan, which is why he hides his eyes behind his glasses. And so from there, I think Scar kind of realizing that there is like two sides of the same coin to this tragedy and really opening up to Miles decides to change it it eventually changes him from becoming someone who's so vengeful and wanting to extract um 
justice and retribution to Amestrius and instead become like an ambassador between Amestrius and the Ishvalan people to really heal through a lot of the trauma of, you know, colonization and border drawing and like pure genocide altogether. For sure. I Scar is yeah, Scar is an excellent example of this. And I actually like how you drew in some uh real life, uh real life history. I mean, of course, a full alchemist brotherhood is very inspired by real life history. So uh but yes. with real life history <laughs> of how the Middle East, there's a lot of people who are radical radicalized and stuff like that and I like how you pointed out it's just like well they became radicalized because of what the west was doing to them you know and I I think they really demonstrated that with Scar too it's like at the beginning I mean the author was of course she's she's amazing but the author you know did this very on purpose we only see it through Edward's eyes and so we hate him because we just see him killing people who very much don't have anything to do with um, what had happened in the past, as well as the fact that a lot of them, you know, are genuinely innocent citizens who didn't really have a choice in what the military did, and especially what the dictator did, because they live in under a dictatorship. But then it's like when we see it through his point of view and his backstory starts to get explored more, you reach a point where you're just like, oh, I get it. Like, I get why he's like this. And so, and I did think that was very powerful because when we are living in the West, we as in like a collective us three here, as well as overall people who live in the West, when we are living in the West, we are so used to hearing just about the enemies. And it's like, how did the enemies become enemies? Have we thought about that? So, yeah. Right. Yeah, and with even more like further context, like a lot of the Middle East prior to European colonization was very peaceful because they were all united under the mm-hmm. Ottoman Empire. And the Ottoman Empire allowed for a lot of these countries to just exist as is. There was no like real borders being drawn. A lot more ethnic groups were quote unquote more respected than later on. And the the practice of religion was much more free in the um, in the turkish world so there were a lot of people the majority was practicing like muslim but then you would also have like a combination of like christianity and judaism and it was not as prejudiced until european colon uh, european colonizers basically broke up the middle east uh and the ottoman empire dissolved and then that's when a lot of people resented the europeans for you know, making these arbitrary rules and boundaries that they now mm-hmm. have to follow. Yeah, and then one thing led to another, and obviously Middle East isn't great right now in regards to a lot of the countries looking no. at Iran and the protests that are happening there, but everything follows a process. There is always a cause and effect. If we go back in history, we'll figure it out. And, you know, I'm on my soapbox again, but I'm like, this is why history is important, because if history has taught us anything, is that if we understand how something happened, then let's figure out how to make sure it doesn't happen again. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, Scar is an excellent example. I'm really glad you highlighted him. And I really appreciated the fact that, you know, he was portrayed physically different to make it super duper clear about the fact that, yes, he's from a different region. He has different cultures, different languages and different clothing styles as well, which I really love because I think clothing styles is something people forget. Agreed. So, yeah. yeah. Alrighty then. So, uh, sorry, Isabel, you've been pretty quiet. Is there anything you want to add? <laughs> no, really. Like, it's hard to hate Scar as a villain, really, um, because usually you just want to, you know, he's a villain. Let's go ahead and get rid of him or something. But you understand where he's coming from, and 
obviously I'm not as well versed in the history of things, but hearing you two talk about that better than I can is definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so, but yeah, I definitely liked him as a character. I always really like well-written villain type characters where you can see, you know, he's not, you know, his morals are, you know, questionable in a sense, but you can see why he's doing things. And that makes for a great villain, really. Um, yeah, compared to like other series that might just be totally different or way off. Um, but yeah, that's really all I have on Scar. I'm curious to see what you have, Gracie, for us, though. Agreed. So um, in my case, I picked two characters that are from, I personally think, lighter shows. Well, we'll get into it. So the first character that I picked for a BIPOC anime character is Aran Ojiro from Haikyuu. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> ah yes i saw that on my, i was i was seeing it on my twitter feed mm-hmm. and i thought about yeah him. yeah yeah <laughs> so the reason why i wanted to highlight Aran is first of all i realized what an impact his character made on you know people who are black who are fans of haiku and it i'm going to guess it's going to seem small for a lot of people but it obviously meant a big deal to them based on how they reacted is that the author and the anime very accurately colored his palms lighter than his skin his overall skin color apparently that is something that anime misses all the time and i have to say apparently because i am ashamed to say i've never paid attention to it per se but um it, this was an attention to detail that a lot of haiku fans Fans who are black just absolutely loved his design for just for the fact that they made sure his palms are lighter than the rest of his skin and his body, which, you know, a huge kudos to them in that regard. However, another reason why I really, really liked Aran is aside from just the fact that he is an excellent volleyball player, they didn't give him any like superpowers or special skills because he's different. In fact, they don't even really acknowledge the fact that he is essentially a black Japanese person. What they and I really, really love this, too, because we see it from the perspectives of these high school kids and specifically from the Mia twins when they were actually in elementary school because they have been friends and known Auron since they were like third or, you know, second grade, very, very young. And the first time we see Auron is that Auron is physically different. He is not just darker skinned, but he is also a lot taller and a lot bigger. And so the Mia twins are just endlessly curious about him. And we're just like, wow, he's big. He's big and stuff like that. And there's like his his full name is Aran, Aran Ojiro. And then Aran immediately tenses and like his ears out because he you can see that he's just like, how are these kids going to react to me? And in a way on his face, you can also see he's kind of used to the fact of people reacting to him. But instead, the Mia twins are like, his name, his name is so different. (laughs) And so, which, you know, completely shocked him. And he was like, that, that's just so stupid for them to be like, so curious about me just because of my name and stuff like that. But I really like that moment because it, um, it really just nails in the fact that kids don't really know, like, they don't know discrimination. They don't know the difference between people in the way that they later grow to know as they get older. It is very much learned and taught. And I thought it was perfect that the Mia twins um, specifically 
have that moment as kids, very much at the age where they wouldn't know these things. And so, and it always reminds me of, um, so there is a, there's a YouTuber channel that I would like to, I like to listen to, and they talked about Zootopia and how the only time you really see the animals at the same size and seemingly equal to each other is when the animals are all kids, like cubs and pups and stuff like that. And he thinks mm, that was very deliberate yeah. because he was like, and this is the therapist talking about it. He's like that. I think that's a deliberate choice because genuinely only when your kids is everyone equal because you genuinely don't know how to form different opinions based on the color of their skin or their gender, you know, or whatever it is. You you really just see them as individuals and individuals who are different than you and who aren't different from you. And so, and I really like that. And I thought that really showcased with the Mia twins when they talked about Adon and they met him for the first time, where instead of talking about the fact he has darker skin or, you know, anything else, he's just like, man, his name, his name is different. <laughs> so, um, but then Adon as a whole, I just really, really love because he has such a distinct personality. So he is their ace of the team and he is very, very good. But he is also so sweet and nice. And he also doesn't take any of the crap of the Mia twins. Like when the Mia twins start to fight, he's just like, oh, yeah. God, here we go again. <laughs> and, so, and, and I think that's great because Adon proves like he is like the straight man of that like disastrous trio and is the one who can like keep him under control even though he's like not the yes. captain either which kind of like doesn't give him the main character treatment but it still makes him just so important yes and he's not well. some like special star player in the fact that he can do no wrong because he has that extra physical prowess you know he's taller he's bigger than anyone no Adon messes up he can get in his head because Adon as we learn is very kind and sensitive and because of that he can be really self-critical of himself so when he messes up he tends to mess up a little more after that because it gets in his head and those are flaws to Adon's character as a volleyball player, which is also very important because the second you give a character strength and flaws, you make them real and you make them so much more three-dimensional. Also, I know this is in the manga, but let us not forget the iconic panel in the manga where, you know, Adon has graduated. He's gone to college. He's gone on to pursue what he wants to do in life. And Atsumu is like, you know, Atsumu has such respect and devotion to Adon that, like, you know, Adon was just like, you know, senpai, I'll take your place and stuff like that. He's looking into the sun and there's, like, this image of Adon, like, waving goodbye to him, stuff like that. And then there was a tweet that went viral that was just like, Atsumu, senpai is not dead. Senpai is furthering his education. <laughs> and so... <laughs> and I never forgot that tweet because I'm like iconic, first of all. And the fact that that tweet and that panel was dedicated to Adon as a character and his impact and influence to the other characters. So, yeah, I really I really love Adon. I think they really did a good job of showing how he really is just a high school volleyball player. He loves volleyball. He has friends. He argues, too. He freaks out when he's excited. He messes up when he gets in his head. He's just a normal human person who happened to have 
who happened to be a black Japanese person on a Japanese team in Japan. And basically no one mentions it or cares about it because he's one of them. And I think that's really great how they act. They just never straight up question it. And the only hint we get that, oh, he's quote unquote different is because of two very, very little kids who are like, oh, gee, his name is different. So, um, so that is my first pick for the uh, for my BIPOC characters. Did any of you guys watch season four to the end? Or like, did you guys meet Adon? I guess because I know he only came out in like the second core. So, oh, I definitely saw Adon when he came out. I think what the most iconic scene for me was when he was uh, uplifting the uh, the mm, captain yes. of their team because the captain of their team is like very quiet. He's kind of like uh kenma but unlike kenma who kind of like is very indifferent like kita is like very cold he's very um he's very aloof in that way but aran is just like very sunshine positive next to him and encourages him to like continue being a captain even though kita has feelings that he's inadequate as a captain because you have more charismatic players like uh like Mm -hmm. the mia twins right and so Aran being there as a supporting character to the captain really, I think, really tightens a lot of his narrative mm-hmm. in the season four. Yeah, I didn't see, I didn't get to that part, but I'm glad that they ha- highlight him as a character, especially in sports anime. I think it's kind of rare to see darker skin yep. characters mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. they're based in Japanese yeah. schools mostly. So, you know, you don't see that that much, but that's really cool. I will look, look forward to that when I try to finish Haikyuu. <laughs> Alrighty, so that is my first pick. Yes, I love Aran. I I mean, we know it's movies now, but I hope that panel gets in with Asumu <laughs> thinking about Aran. And then we can do the whole, like, Senpai is not dead. Aran, Senpai is furthering his education, so... Senpai's doing great in the afternoon. Actually, yeah, Senpai's doing great. He's living his life, so... Um, my second BIPOC anime character that I would like to focus on is Lenny from Tact OP Destiny. I think most people have forgotten this anime already, and I don't blame you guys. I've written a review that specifically even um, estimate, uh, like, guess that people will likely forget about it. But it was a, a MAPA Madhouse uh, dual studio project where it was an it was an original anime that ties into a mobile game specifically. But I think what I what has stood out to me a lot is when I was watching the anime, the characters that have really caught everyone's attention um, that people weren't annoyed with because they were basically annoyed with all the main characters, but they were not annoyed with Lenny, who is a supporting character in the cast. And he is a very, very dark-skinned man. What is he? Is he, you know, Indian? Is he, is he black? Is he Hispanic? We don't like, you know, Latine. We don't know. Uh, We just know that he is for sure a dark skinned man. And he takes a very important role in the story. First, teaching the main character on how to control his powers as a conductor, but also having a special sort of tie in to Tox, the main character, Tox's past and with his father. And so Lenny has stood out in multiple ways. One, which is the fact that, yes, a dark skinned man being in the cast that takes place in the U.S. should be very commonplace now, considering the fact that 
at least for me, walking out onto the street is quite literally impossible to not see a person of color, me, myself, and being one. And so, um, so that's the first thing. But the second thing that I really liked is that people have pointed out when they were watching the show that it's actually you don't really see people of color taking like taking mentoring roles. You know, they tend to be really cool or they're they're just there and they're there to be um, they're there to just put some color in. But to take an active part into developing the actual protagonist and showing how things are properly done is very rare. And then on top of that, he's also a very flamboyant man. It is not confirmed on whether he is queer, queer or not, but it doesn't matter because of the fact that he should be allowed to act however he acts. And, you know, flamboyance is usually frowned upon or seen as cringy, even if you're queer, seen as cringy at times. But in regards to Lenny, he just really doesn't care. He's a flamboyant man who really loves music and he is dark skinned and that doesn't change anything about him. He's still the superior conductor when it comes to talk. He shows that over and over again. He has a really good understanding of music in a way that Talk think he does, but think he has, but actually doesn't because he's too young and, you know, a little too angsty to really learn and grow as a person. And then uh, Lenny in particular also gets some of the best fight scenes, which I really, really love. His fight scenes with Titan, that's his partner, with Titan are my favorites that I've seen. He also gets some of the most gorgeous shots as well. However, my final thing about Lenny that I really liked is how his he plays the cello. Um, and I know that sounds weird, but, you know, we're we're used to associating jazz with dark skinned people for very understandable reasons and for good reasons for obvious reasons as well but but it's something that people have pointed out is like it's not just jazz that people of color play it's a lot of other instruments as well and Lenny in particular is famous for playing the cello and we get to see him play the cello a lot of times in the flashbacks back when music was allowed because that's part of the whole world is that music had to be banned because um, the music attracted these monsters. And so because of that, usual people who played music, you know, weren't allowed to play music anymore. But in his flashback, they, we see him play the cello several, several times. And we get to, and they very purposefully animated scenes for him to play the cello. And they animated it accurately in regards to his fingers, to the bow hand, to how it works, to his position and stuff like that. And I am really thankful because I'm also very used to seeing how for whatever reason, the people of color who are playing the instruments, they're the ones who kind of get sidelined. Their scenes get, you know, skipped over. They We don't see them play their actual instrument. We don't see how the instrument means, like, means to them. And in this case, it's not true at all. Lenny, we get to see him play concerts in all its glory from beginning to end with accurate animation to boot. And I really appreciated that as well. And I just think that it is very important and also powerful that the fact that Lenny, out of that cast of characters where everyone thought it was going to be Tact and Destiny and Anna that were going to be the big three that people were going to fall in love with, wasn't it? It was Lenny who people fell in love with for his like 
for his personality, for his even his flamboyance, for that matter. People really loved it. And for his music ability and his contribution to the plot and to the character development for Tact as well. He was just a really solid anime character and is probably one of the only reasons why I can remember Tact OP Destiny because of what Lenny has done. So yeah, so that is my second one I wanted to highlight. I don't think either of you two have even seen Talked OP Destiny. Is that true? No, I didn't watch it because uh, I heard how much of a show it was. <laughs> so I, I didn't bother. But I know that you and James really clicked with it a lot of with its musical aspect and the uh, character yes, designs as well. Yes, and I just, yeah, no, Lenny is great. For me, it's always been Lenny. Lenny was the character for me that sold me on it and kept me watching about it. I will say, Talk to Be Destiny isn't as bad of a disaster as some people say it is. And I do talk about this in my review. This isn't like one of those cash grabs anime where there wasn't a plot. It was just here to show how pretty things could be. There was actually a plot and themes associated with it, namely with grief and loss and like, letting things go and Lenny in particular represented the people who learned to process their grief and move on to work on better things and become even better in life because of that so there was something to be said in the anime they just didn't quite get it with the um execution so (laughs) that makes sense okay maybe I should actually go watch it then Lenny sounds like a, a character that I would be interested only in watching. Yeah, no, I love him. Watch. And also his fight scenes are amazing. He gets the best fight scenes. So. <laughs> Which I also... Does he, do they have a weapon or do they fight with like their partner, like you said? I don't, I'm not sure how the fights play out in Toctopia. Okay, so they fight with their partner. So in a way, it's like the conductor is the one who can instruct their partner how to fight. So think of their partner as the quote-unquote instrument that's being used, and then the conductor is a person in control. And so Lenny's conductor is... Or Lenny is a conductor. His partner is Titan, who is also really adorable. And, um, and the two are just perfectly in sync with each other. And so I think the other thing is... Um, I think... It's like their hits are shared. So it's like if one of them gets hit, the other one also gets hurt as well. So that's part of a danger of it. But so Lenny is like using his hands to conduct like a conductor would with an orchestra. And each of the conductors get their unique soundtrack and music style to reflect the fact that they are fighting in their music style. So unsurprisingly, Lenny's uh, music styles have a lot of cello in it because he used to be a cellist. So yeah. Mm. Oh, I see. That's pretty cool then, actually. So, yeah, having a particular instrument and playing that instrument along with their partner or in fights. Yeah, exactly. So that is Lenny, and that is my second BIPOC uh, anime character that I wanted to highlight. So thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed our highlights. Obviously, if there are any other favorites you guys have, please share. And, of course, if there's anything you disagree with us on, Please share as well. We are happy to listen to them. Uh, We want to listen to them, honestly. So hopefully we did. And give us more recommendations, too, of like great shows that feature these BIPOC characters. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. So, um, oh, and in case you're like, well, how do we tell you guys? Go to Twitter at GirlTaku underscore AT. That's where we're at. So thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you guys had a fun time. And we will be back next time with another fun topic. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.